this uh, morning, I decided we would take a break from our uh, normal series that we've been doing on encounters. And uh, I know many of you have been enjoying that. But uh, in light of uh, everything that's just kind of been going on, um, which I'm sure if you were like me um, last week as the events uh, unfolded, as we watched uh, on TV or followed on uh, online, everything that was happening over there in Las Vegas, um, many of us just stood there and watched and just said, what is going on? And, you know, you think about it. Um, in the past month, we've had some pretty crazy things. Um, there's been, I think there's four hurricanes now that's uh, gone through. Um, and then there's been wildfires. And then just now even this uh, thing that happened in Las Vegas where... 58 people were gunned down, um, over 400 people were injured. And we look at that and we go, how do we make sense of all of this? How, how do we put all of this into perspective? How do we understand what God is doing in this world? Well, you know, I believe that God's word has answers for every situation in our life. It gives us counsel and it gives us direction on every situation that you could ever think about. Because this comes from God. And what God's word says, it helps us to, I guess in a way, to make sense of what is going on uh, in the world. And you know, you think about it, in the past 10 to 20 years of all the things that have happened... I mean, we've seen things that have changed so drastically in our world. We've had school shootings. We've had legalization of same-sex marriage. We've had earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, terror organizations. And also the continued onslaught of thousands, hundreds of thousands of babies that are murdered in the wombs, day by day. And we look at that and we go, what in the world is going on? No doubt about it. These are difficult times. These are troublesome times. These are times that we look at and we, we say, how can we make sense of any of this? Are we living in the last days? I mean, are things getting so bad that there's probably really no hope for us anymore? Are we living in the last days? What hope does Scripture give us in last days? Does God's Word give us any clues of what we're supposed to do when we're living in the last days? It does. I want to give you a few things here. Understanding the last days, difficult times... In Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14, and Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 7 through 17, these are primary passages that Jesus talks about, uh, about living in the last days, about these troublesome times. And he goes through and tells us the events that are supposed to take place. And basically the disciples asked Jesus, and they say, what will the sign of your coming be? When will the end of the age be? How are we going to know what is happening? How will we know if we are living in these last days? 
And I'm just going to kind of summarize here what Jesus says between these two passages. I encourage you to read them on your own, on your own individual time. But notice what Jesus says through these things. He tells us that many will come in the name of Christ to lead others astray. He also tells us that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But in that, he said, the end is not yet. Even though you're hearing of wars and rumors of wars, and even though there are false Christs and people saying that they're Christ and trying to lead people astray, he says, the end is not yet. Then he tells us that nation will rise against nation. He tells us kingdom against kingdom. He tells us famines, earthquakes, and pestilences in various places will happen. And then he tells us that tears and great signs from heaven. But then he tells us that all of these things are just the beginning of the birth pangs. I never really quite understood that until my wife um, gave gave birth to our daughter. And... You know, I, I was just thinking, oh, okay, you know, sometimes you see that on TV, you know, a, a lady gives birth and you're like, oh, okay, no problem, right? No, <laughs> wrong idea. Um, our daughter, Evelyn, she'll, she'll be two in November. And that was a long weekend. And Jesus here, he tells us, he says, all these things are going to happen and they are just the, but the beginning of birth pangs. Then he tells us you'll be delivered up for persecution. He also tells us that you will be betrayed by parents, by brothers, relatives, and friends. He tells us that some will be put to death for his name. He tells us that you will be hated by all nations for his name. And he tells us that many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There will lawless will increase. And he tells us that love will grow cold. And he says, to summarize it all, he says that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations. Then the end will come. So according to the words of Jesus, he gives us these descriptions here and tells us about these difficult times, these troublesome times that we are living in. All these events that are going to take place. I'm sure in your generation or even in your parents' generation, they probably look back and they say, boy, you know, back then, those were the good times. I can remember those were the good times. But in reality, those really weren't the good times. They were hard and difficult times as well. You know, I remember when I was in uh, high school, I came home from from high school and uh, I turned on the TV and I watched, I think it was in 1999, The events that unfolded uh, at the Columbine shooting, where all those high school students were gunned down. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? And we look at that and we go, wow, this is crazy that something like this is happening. But did you know 
that that wasn't the worst tragedy. Our country's experienced far greater tragedies than that. In 1927, the deadliest school massacre happened where 44 school children were killed. We forget about those things. We tend to only focus in on what's going on right now. But those things do happen. We look and we think about the weather and the, uh, the, the things that have happened in earthquakes and tsunamis and tornadoes and, and all the hurricanes. And we go, man, surely this is getting really bad. But did you know that many earthquakes have been recorded for us since the pre-11th century? One such quake recorded for us on December 13th, 115 A.D. in Antioch, which killed 260,000 people. Many other cities which were destroyed, many other quakes that have been recorded where whole cities were just completely demolished. But are we living in the last days? Are these right now the last days? Is this it? Is there going to be a generation after us? The truth is, we have been living in the last days since Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven. These are the last days that we are living in. We are waiting his return. That's all we're waiting back for. We're waiting for Christ to return. And so we are living in the last days even right now. Many have predicted his coming. I mean, you've, you've seen this, you've heard this about people making predictions about Jesus Christ's return. The earliest recorded one that we have for us uh, was in 500 A.D. A man predicted that Jesus would return in 500 A.D. Well, that didn't happen. And there have been numerous other ones. The, to date, the latest one right now is that Jesus Christ is going to return in 2057. So all these things have taken place. And we look at them. And we try to decipher them. We try to understand them. What does God's word have to say about difficult times? We're going to be over here in Second uh, Timothy chapter number 3. Second Timothy chapter number 3. And this is another passage that Paul writes to this young pastor named Timothy. And he tries to give him some instruction and help of living in difficult times, living in last days, living in perilous times, uh, things that he would encounter. Listen to what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-9. through 9. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. He says they're going to be ungrateful and unholy and heartless and unappeasable. They're going to be slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, he tells Timothy. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men. 
Difficult times are the result of godlessness. Mark this down, Paul says. Look at what he says. He says, but understand this. Mark it down. Don't let it slip by you. He says, there will come in the last days times of difficulty. When we see things unfolding in our country, we see things unfolding in the world. Yes, we are, we are taken back by them. We go, how in the world could this happen? Why would this happen? But it should not be a shock to us. Because God's word tells us that in these last days, difficult times will happen. It should be, yes, Jesus is coming soon. We are living in the last days. These are difficult times that we are encountering. We see the godlessness in the world and wonder why. What is going on? It's all primarily because of moral decay. Look at this list that Paul gives us here. And I think we see this, you know, not just in our generation, but we've seen this in generations before this as well. He says, he tells us about these characteristics that he makes mention here. First of all, he talks about selfishness. He says that these people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. They're selfish. This by far could be considered the root of all sin. is selfishness. We want to do what I want to do. It's selfishness. And Paul says in these last days, these difficult times, selfishness will be running rampant. It's all about me. They're lovers of self, he tells us. Then he says that they're arrogant boasters. He says that they're proud and arrogant and abusive. You know, all of this can be in what they say and what they do is in their actions. That they're proud and they they make a boast of being proud. And in all their actions, they're very proud of what they do. Do we not see that today? We have platforms which people can can push their own agenda and push their views and how proud they are of what they do and how they do it. They insult others and they are full of hatred for others. Then he tells us that they're defiant regarding human relationships. He says that they're disobedient to their parents. They're ungrateful and unholy. Interesting enough that Paul links unholiness with being ungrateful. And I think when we are ungrateful in our lives, we too live a life of unholiness in our life. Because we're not grateful for what God has given us. In human relationships, Paul says that they're defiant. They become ungrateful. And this, the the life that they live will be unholy lives. Heartless and unappeasable, he says. You can't appease them. You're trying everything to to help them and and nothing, nothing appeases them, he says. They're ungrateful. Then he tells us that they're reckless and rebellious character. He says that they're slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous and reckless. Their speech really is nothing but slander. That's all they do is just slander others. He says they smear and belittle others. They exercise no self-control in their life. Being rude and vicious, they love darkness rather than light. 
by not loving good. And he says that they are treacherous, meaning that they are deceitful and and would betray others at at the whim. They, They just look for opportunity to betray others. And he says that they are reckless, that they live their life without any care or concern for others or God. Do we not see that stuff in the world that we live today? We do. So are we living in the last days? Absolutely. Are we living in difficult times? Absolutely. Then he tells us that they're swollen with conceit. They have a puffed up arrogance about their life. Meaning that they know it all and you can't teach them anything. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. I don't need, I don't need, your, I don't need your instruction. I know that. And then he tells us that they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Interesting to look at this list here. Paul starts out and he says, for people will be lovers of self. And then he ends that list and he says that they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They pursue after the friendship of the world more than a friendship with Jesus Christ. Everything about the world is all that matters to them. The things about Christ, the things about God, there's a godlessness in which we see in this world. And so he says that this is what marks their life. But notice what Paul tells Timothy to do with all of this. He says, Timothy, all of these difficult times that you're going to encounter, all of these hard times that you're going to live in, this is what you're supposed to do, Timothy. Look at verse number 5. He says, having the appearance of godliness... He says, it's an outward show of being devout, wearing a mask of godliness. These people are going to put on a show. They're going to wear a mask of godliness to to try to cover up all of the inward things that he talks about here. And he tells them this. He says that you are to avoid them. He says, stay away from them. Avoid such people, Timothy. Avoid these people that have the appearance of godliness, but deny its very power. Paul was warning Timothy here that these difficult times are going to come. And he says, in order to navigate these difficult times, what are you supposed to do? Avoid these types of people. You say, how in the world am I supposed to do that? I got five of them living right down the street from me. He says, you're not supposed to entangle yourself. You're not supposed to make a a friendship with these types of people. Avoid them. And notice what he says about these people, because this is very interesting. Paul says that these types of people, this godliness, this, this difficult times that we see is going to creep in to the church. Notice what he says. He gives us an example of this. In verses 8 through 9, he mentions these two guys, Janes and Jambres. Who were these guys? Well, in the Old Testament, when Moses went to go perform his his miracles and and his wonders before Pharaoh to try to let the people of of God go, the, the children of Israel that were in bondage, He did that through wonders and miracles, whether it be taking the staff and it turning into a snake, turning the water into blood, um, all the flies and the pestilence and all those things. He did all of these things before him. Well, Janies and Jambres, they were basically two magicians that served in Pharaoh's court. 
And we find in the Old Testament that when Moses would do one of these miracles, one of these wonders, that Pharaoh would turn to Janies and Jambres and say, well, what can you do? And they'd pull out their bag of tricks and they would do the exact same thing. And the Bible says that they withstood Moses. In other words, Moses was trying to show to Pharaoh, look, my message, what I'm telling you is directly from God. And here is the proof of that. And Janies and Jambres withstood Moses saying, your message doesn't mean anything. We're not going to listen to it because we can do the exact same thing. So we find this, that these types of people will creep into the church as well. He tells us that they will, they will be there, that they will, they, they will try to withstand the, the preaching, and they will try to withstand the work of God in the church. And Paul says to avoid these types of people. And notice what he says about them. He says, So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But I love this. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. They're not going to get very far. God is in control of all this. God is still on the throne. And even though these difficult times that we encounter and we see these types of behaviors unfolding in the world and even in the church, a godlessness in the church, God says that they will not get very far. So difficult times are a result of godliness. godlessness. Are we at that point yet? Are we at that point yet in our world and even in the church? Are we at a point where we see these difficult, terrible times that we have these types of behaviors going on in the world and even in the church? Difficult times are a result of godlessness. I want to give you here something that I think will be helpful. Secondly, the Christian must remain faithful. Paul now switches his thing. He's give, he gives Timothy the whole, I guess, premise of, of how horrible these difficult times will be, these last days, these, these hard times. And he says, Timothy, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you are supposed to navigate through these difficult times. This is what he says. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, when we see all the godlessness in the world, instead of wringing our hands and going, oh man, what are we going to do? Instead of 
turning on the radio or turning on the TV and trying to make sense of what is going on. Instead of trying to run into a cave and say, well, there's nothing we can do. I'm just going to sit in a cave and never go out into society anymore. Paul tells Timothy here, he says, the way that you navigate these hard, difficult times is that you must remain faithful. Because everything else around you is going to be crumbling, it's going to be decaying, it's going to be falling apart. But Timothy, you remain faithful. And that's exactly what we, as believers in Jesus Christ, must do as well. We too must remain faithful. Even when everything is falling apart. You know, uh, a few years back, um, I can remember, uh, this was when some of the elections were going on. It might have been 8, 12 years ago. I can't remember exactly when. But uh, my wife and I, we were listening to one uh, talk radio show host. And, you know, some of these talk radio show hosts are nothing more than alarmist. Okay, they tell you everything that's going on and everything that's going wrong, right? And what does it do for you? All it does is it gets you all worked up and it promotes fear in your heart. And you know, I noticed that as we would listen to that, that my attitude, my spirit was changing because of everything that was going on in the world. And yet I was not focusing on what Jesus Christ says. Because I was being alarmed by everything else. And I think so many times we forget that we have scripture, that we have the spirit of God, that we have Jesus Christ, that we have God himself, who is always remaining faithful to us. And we, in turn, just need to turn back to him and just be faithful. Listen to his word. Listen to his teachings. Understand what he says. Because in these difficult times, we are to remain faithful faithful. You see, we need to remember that in the first century church, they thought that they were already living in the last days. Everything that was happening, I mean, there was already persecution, widespread persecution going on in the church. I mean, these guys were being taken and being dragged out, being beaten in prison, being put to death. I mean, this was serious stuff. If you ever get a chance to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll see of all the martyrdom that happened, even from the very first century of the early church. How sometimes uh, Nero would take people and they would, uh, he would take them and and basically dip them in in oil and and hang them on a cross and light them on fire to light his gardens on his way uh, to his house. We find people being sewn up in animal skins, Christians sewn up in animal skins and thrown to wild beasts and they're torn apart. I mean, this is serious persecution that's going on. And what does Paul tell Timothy? Remain faithful, Timothy, even in the difficult times. He tells him to remain faithful to my teachings, to my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and my sufferings. You see, because Paul chose to serve Jesus Christ, these persecutions and sufferings were a reality in his life. He could speak from experience and he could say, listen, Timothy, I have seen persecution firsthand. And the way that I've dealt with it is to remain faithful. 
We read about in Paul's account uh, through some of the other letters about the persecutions that he encountered, whether it be uh, stoning and scourging and uh, long, weary periods in imprisonment and, and even the fact of being uh, times where he was shipwrecked and, and he was, I mean, all these things that happened to Paul, beatings and stonings that happened to him. And he could speak from a firsthand account from that And so Paul says, in all of my life, I have remained faithful. If you continue reading through this book here in 2 Timothy, you'll see that basically Paul is in prison and he sees that he's going to get beheaded. He's going to to have his head chopped off because he was preaching the gospel. Because he was remained faithful to Jesus Christ. And he's there in prison and he's writing to Timothy. And literally, I believe that as he's writing, he knows that his execution is at hand. And he says, behold, he says, my time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. He says, I finished my course with joy. He knew that his end was coming. And he was going to remain faithful But I want you to notice something here. What are we to remain faithful? Because, you know, for me to just say remain faithful, what does that mean? Does that mean just go to church? What does it mean to remain faithful? I mean, keep singing Christian songs? Keep reading your Bible? Keep praying? I mean, all those things are good. But what should we remain faithful in? Paul gives us... Two things that we are to remain faithful in. And notice what he says here. He tells us this. He says, uh, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Notice this. He lists three places at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Paul says, I'm going to give you something here, Timothy, of why you should remain faithful and what you should remain faithful to. Let's check out these places And see what Paul encountered and why we should remain faithful and to what we are to remain faithful. So if we just do a little digging here, we find that these three places are listed here in Acts chapter number 13 and 14. And I'm just going to kind of summarize here what happens. So Paul here goes to Antioch in Acts chapter number 13. Paul and Barnabas, they're there in Antioch. And they begin preaching... In the synagogue. They're there. They're preaching. They're talking. And in verse number 43. It says here. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism. Followed Paul and Barnabas. Who as they spoke with them. Urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath. Almost the whole city. Gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles now. And in verse 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And in verse 52, it tells us, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here's the first one. Paul goes to Antioch. He's there. He's preaching in the synagogue. And what is he preaching? Go to church. Read your Bible. Pray. No. He is preaching Jesus Christ. He is preaching the gospel. 
And he tells people of Christ, he reveals Christ to them. And people, some of the, some of the Jews there, they believe on, believe on Jesus. They come into a relationship with Christ. And some of the other Jews get angry and upset. And they're, they're, they start to contradict what Paul was saying. And Paul says, this is something that I encountered here, and this is something I remain faithful at at Iconium, is that I preach the gospel. Here's the second part here. He says, then he says he went to Iconium. In chapter 14, it says, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Believed what? The gospel. He says, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witnesses to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so here they are in the city of Iconium now. And what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel again. And then we find here, Paul says this third part. He says, Lystra. He says in verse number eight. He says, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. and He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Speaking what? The gospel. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, and in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. He sprang up, began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they call Barnabas, they call Zeus, and Paul, they call him Hermes. And as they're preaching there the gospel, what happens? Well, here's the Jews that were there at Antioch. And here's some other Jews that were at Iconium. They get upset because Paul is preaching the gospel. And what happens in verse 19? But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I do believe that he did die. And I believe the Lord raised him back up and says, I'm not finished with you yet. And he says here, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul says here, He's trying to drive home a point to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, he says, in these difficult times, if I want you to remain faithful, and here's a way that you remain faithful, continue to preach the gospel. Because that's all that we have. We don't have some magic potion or some type of magic words. We have the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, that he died and he was buried and he resurrected. And all those that believe in Jesus are saved from their sins. And that's all we have. And Paul says, Timothy, you remain faithful to the gospel. What are we supposed to do? Remain faithful to the gospel. We are to continue to preach the gospel. We are continue to encourage and, and in, engage people with the gospel. That's all that we have. And we are to remain faithful in that. Sometimes we think the gospel is only for those that don't know Christ. But the gospel is for us that know Christ as well. 
Paul says, for, us, for unto us it is the power of God. He says, I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel is the power, it's the dynamite power of what gives us the opportunity to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Even in great times of difficulty. And so when we see some guy sitting up on the 32nd floor picking people off. And we go, what is going on? We're not to wring our hands. We are to say, I am going to remain faithful in preaching Jesus. I'm going to remain faithful in the gospel. Paul gives Timothy here a second thing that we are to remain faithful in. Look what he says here. He says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In difficult times, in times of trouble, when everything's falling apart, what are we supposed to do? We are to remain faithful to the word of God. Everything that God has given us in his word is for us. And we are not supposed to interpret the difficult times through news media, through radio, through other people's opinions. We interpret everything that we see going on in our world through the word of God. This is the lens of which we focus everything through. Because if my opinion does not match the word of God, the word of God is not in fault. It's me. I'm in error. And so we must remain faithful to the word of God. Notice what Paul says here. He says all scripture, every part of it comes from God. It has authority. In difficult, hard times, you know what we need? We need something sure. We need something that's solid. We need something that we know that's not going to be like quicksand. We need something that we can stand firm on. And what is that? That is the word of God. He says all scripture comes from God. It's literally breathed out from God. And a perfect God is going to give us a perfect word. We don't have to worry, oh no, oh no. We can't really trust God's word. I mean, it's been thousands of years old. I don't know. I don't know. Jesus said, not what, not one jot or tittle will pass away. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. We have the word of God, which is sure, and we can stand upon it, and we can remain faithful in the word of God. And what is God's word useful for? Notice what he says. He says, it's useful for teaching. Instruction of how to live. You want to learn how to live in difficult times? It's right here. This is it. This is what we have. It helps us to learn how to live and gives us instruction on how to live. And then he says, it's there for reproof, to refute error. For correction, to correct what is wrong in our lives. And he says, for it's for training in righteousness. The word of God trains us how to live according to the standard of Jesus Christ. 
You and I cannot, and see, this is what the, the major problem is with, with religion in general, is people try to live righteous lives apart from Jesus Christ. It's impossible because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. It's not my own righteousness, it's His righteousness. And see, when I have His righteousness, His Word instructs me how I'm supposed to live within His righteousness. Not my own righteousness. And it gives us the standard of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. All of us should be determining in our life to ever become more and more like Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that. It says that when we behold the word of God, when we behold Jesus in the word, it says that we are changed from glory to glory, changed from one degree to another degree. We are changed into his likeness, into his image. And so that should be the standard for us is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So in these times of difficulty, are you remaining faithful to preach the gospel? Are you upholding the gospel as the only good news that people have? Are we remaining faithful to the word of God? You see, when we look at these difficult times, we should never be seeking to satisfy our curiosity. That's exactly what the disciples were doing. Lord, what is going to be the sign of your coming? When will the end come? Are we living in the last days? We should never be seeking our curiosity in those types of things. Rather, what should we be doing? We should be instructed on how to live faithfully. If you find there in uh, Luke and also Matthew, Jesus never satisfied the disciples' curiosity of telling them when. Basically, he told them, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to remain faithful. So if we are going to endure difficult times, we must remain faithful. And I encourage you, I encourage you to remain faithful to God. Remain faithful to the gospel. Remain faithful to his word. Let's pray together.